This is the Daily Podcast Practice Show for Sunday, October 10th, 2021. I'm your host, Rich Grimshaw, here to practice the art, the craft, and the sport of podcasting. Today, according to NationalDayCalendar.com, is National Metric Day. And uh, it's not a coincidence that this day, National Metric Day, falls on the 10th day of the 10th month, 10-10-2021. <laughs> it's pretty clever, I think. In my personal opinion, our country needs to be on metric, like everybody needs to be on metric. Back in the 70s, early 70s, I think, and then early 80s, there were some government mm, decrees, government legislation that tried to steer us in that direction, but it didn't work because it was voluntary. Let's see. Let's go back in time here. In 1971, the United States National Bureau of Standards issued a report titled, quote, a metric America, unquote, and it recommended that we transition to the metric system over the course of 10 years. And in response, the United States Congress enacted the Metric Conversion Act in 1975, but it stripped out the 10-year deadline and made the conversion voluntary. That was the death of it, for sure. This was the time when I was an engineering student at the Georgia Institute of Technology, Georgia Tech, the trade school on North Avenue in Atlanta, Georgia. But all of our engineering work was done in imperial units, feats, inches, pounds, pounds per square inch, feet per second, all that kind of stuff. We didn't do any of our classes, any of our calculations in metric. And so I'm an imperial units engineer for sure. I mean, I knew about metric and we kind of looked at some of the things, but didn't really work with it. These days, I read a lot of engineering literature that is in metric, and I just get lost because I've just never done any of my work using the International System of Units, or SI, as the modern form of the metric system is known. So it's just one example of me being out of touch with the world. <laughs> but as I said, in my opinion, I'd like to see our country go metric. Many companies have adopted the metric system because of their international trade. But here, you know, we still use miles per hour instead of kilometers per hour. And uh, and I think that'd be, that'd be wrong. We need to change it. Let's take a birthday today. Born this day in 1946 in Maywood, Illinois, American country folk singer-songwriter John Prine, famous for his Songs Hello in There and Angel from Montgomery and and dozens more. John was in the Army during the Vietnam War. He was stationed in Germany. And when he got out, he came back to the States, and he was a postman. He had a, a postal route, and he wrote songs in his head doing the daily route. And then one day he did an open mic gig somewhere around Chicago, and from that one gig he started to get paid jobs, because frankly, he was pretty good. And then the movie critic Roger Ebert, you remember Roger, saw him in 1970. It was just kind of happenstance, serendipitous, but he saw him perform at the Fifth Peg. I don't know where that is, but I'm sure it's a, it's probably like uh, the Troubadour out in California. I don't know. But Roger wrote the first review that Prime ever received. He said, quote, he appears on stage with such modesty. He almost seems to be backing into the spotlight. He sings rather quietly, and his guitar work is good, but he doesn't show off. He starts slow. 
But after a song or two, even the drunks in the room begin to listen to his lyrics. And then he has you. Unquote. <laughs> Good quote. I've never seen John Pride in person. I just know his music from recordings, from radio, from records, you know, that kind of stuff. But I won't ever have the chance to see him because John died last year, April 7, 2020, from COVID-19. He was just 73 years old, just way too young. And I remember hearing the news that day that he had died, and I was just, I was just shocked. I think that's the right word. I mean, this was early in the COVID pandemic, and I just wasn't used to hearing about people that I know and I revere dying from this stuff. So, yeah, I was just shocked. And just as he wished, as he wrote in his song Paradise, half of his ashes were spread in Kentucky's Green River, which is kind of where he's from, and the other half were buried next to his parents in Chicago. Well, John, we never met, but I sure love your music. It's been a big part of my life for a long, 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 long time. So happy birthday, John Prine. Let's go to some words, which we will take from yesterday's show when we talked about the carbon molecule C60s. And the two words that I want to use are fullerene and allotropes. I think I pronounced that right, allotropes. So the word fullerene, spelled F-U-L-L-E-R-E-N-E, is a noun that means an allotrope, that's our second word, an allotrope of carbon whose molecule consists of carbon atoms connected by single and double bonds so as to form a closed or partially closed mesh with fused rings of five to seven atoms. The molecule may be a hollow sphere, ellipsoid, tube, or many other shapes and sizes. The family is named after Buckminster Fullerene, which is the C60 molecule that we talked about yesterday, and that's the most famous member of this group, which in turn is named after Buckminster Fuller. The closed fullerenes, especially C60, are also informally known as buckyballs. <laughs> buckyballs for their resemblance to the standard ball of association with football or soccer. Nested closed fullerenes have been named bucky onions. I don't know what those are. Cylindrical fullerenes are also called carbon nanotubes or bucky tubes. <laughs> okay, so what is the next word? Allotrope, you ask. Well, I'm glad you did ask. It's spelled A-L-L-O. T-R-O-P-E, allotrope. Allotrope is a different structural modification of an element. The atoms of the element are bonded together in a different manner. For example, the allotropes of carbon include diamond, where the carbon atoms are bonded together in a tetrahedral lab... A, a tetrahedral, tetrahedral lattice arrangement. Also, graphite, where the carbon atoms are bonded together in sheets of a hexagonal lattice and graphene, where single sheets of graphite are bonded, and fullerenes, the carbon atoms are bonded together in spherical, tubular, or ellipsoidal formulations, formations. <laughs> so those are some very special words, fullerene and allotrope. And I have no idea how you're going to get those worked into casual conversation 
So while I think they're highfalutin words and and they show an immense amount of intelligence if you can use them, they're still just a buck twenty-five words because you you just can't use them in everyday language. Heck, you can't use them once a month, maybe once a year, when you go to the uh, Fullerene conference or the chemical engineers conference. <laughs> I don't know, but we they're two good words. And eh, stick them in your back pocket if you want to, or wherever you keep your vocabulary. Just That's up to you. Oh, gosh. That's going to uh, do it for today. We're going to wrap this up in a tubular allotrope of carbon and stick a fork in it. But before I leave, here's a note for the week ahead. I have another all-expenses-paid trip to Louisville, Kentucky. I'm going to leave in the morning. That will be Monday, October 11th, and return home Friday evening, whatever day that is. So the shows for the next full week are going to be from the road. And uh, as time is usually kind of scarce when I'm on the road, these will probably be very brief shows. But you never know. They could be some of the most interesting and engaging content that I've ever produced. So you better listen, okay? You're subscribed. You're following me. You're getting the shows. Great. Don't don't brush these off just because they're on the road, because they could be terrific or not. I'm Rich Grimshaw, and you are invited to join me again tomorrow. Thank you for listening.